treat to have Tan Molina speak to us and bring us the word. Tan hails from Leon, Spain, where he's a missionary. I first met Tan at Cornerstone Seminary, and Tan just recently graduated from the seminary. He did his studies remotely from Spain, and that meant that Tan was taking classes at midnight, at one in the morning, two in the morning via Skype, so he could, he could finish his, his degree as a Master of Divinity. Um, and if you think it was an easy task to do, consider that Tan's native language is Spanish, but he's learning Greek from an English teacher. <laughs> and that just goes to show you the dedication and the, and the hard work that, uh, that our brother has put into this. Tan is here um, for a time um, visiting the United States, visiting the uh, uh, different churches that support him. He, uh, yesterday, he came from Humboldt County to us. He's going to be in Oceanside one day. He'll be in Florida and North Carolina. He's doing a lot of traveling and, and visiting those that support him. And um, when he said he was coming to the United States, he sent an email and said, hey, I'd love to come uh, to preach for you guys. And so we were very fortunate, very blessed to have him uh, here today uh, in his busy schedule. He's here with his wife, Karen, and his five children, uh, Eric, um, Matthias, Oliver, Isaac, and Martine. Um, and I've heard him refer to before when Martine was born. He said, yes, I now have a basketball team. <laughs> so uh, it is my privilege and my honor to introduce to you um, my, my good friend, my brother, a fellow student, and a, and a disciple of the word and a preacher of the word, Tan Molina. Tan? brother. I'm impressed, Jeff. You haven't joked much about me this time. <laughs> but I have to remind uh, this dear congregation that his real name in seminary is not Jeff, but Chief, right? You know, how, you know why. So truly, we uh, spend many hours together and laboring through the classes and one of my highlights, uh, brother, is having to spend time with you in class and um, as you were sharing your experience and also your frustrations along with uh, me and the rest of the fellow students. Uh, it's, it's, it's a journey to uh, study those, uh, that master's bed by God's grace. Um, I graduated uh, three weeks ago and um, really with the, well, praise the Lord for that. I, now you won't clap after I went, I'm going to say, but <laughs> really graduating with a sense, a greater sense of I know nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> I was too proud to admit it before I started. Now the Lord has humbled me during these years. And the weight and the responsibility of being on the pulpit now and teaching God's, words, uh, God's word is way heavier in my heart. And I know... For those that do it, <clears throat> it is as well. Um, it is a joy, truly, and a privilege uh, to, to be here. I was here no many months ago, and as Jeff said, um, when we were thinking about coming here this summer, um, the whole family, uh, we won't have many opportunities to do this. You know, it's a very expensive trip all the way from Spain. I thank God because now there is one airplane, one flight from Madrid to SFO, used to be two, so one flight, still not easy, 12 hours. But my, my older kids did really good. Uh, I, I praise God for those screens in front of them. They were <laughs> but they got, you know, they, they were sitting there, that, they were watching the movies, asking, hey, can I have a Coke? Can I? They, I think they thought they were flying first class. We were, no, you cannot have a Coke now. We don't have plane big enough for you to run all over the place. Uh, with your sugar high, um, but the Lord really um, helped us through this uh, trip, and as we are traveling all over California, then Washington State, Florida, and North Carolina, visiting churches and supporters, uh, it is a joy for us, and it, it was, of course, a no-brainer for us to come here, and I want my family to be exposed to like-minded churches and the ones that love, love us and pray for us and support us financially as well. And also you, for you to see that what I show in the pictures when they're not around is true. They are mine and they're blonde. I know, I don't know. It's just... <laughs> My wife is from Seattle and those Viking jeans, uh, what can I say? 
It's always a joy for us. Um, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles, please, in Psalm... I was tempted to say 103 just to tease Jeff, and he knows why. Psalm 120, Psalm 120. Very short psalm, seven verses, but uh, full of content and hoping and praying that the Lord gives us understanding and we can apply it in our lives for his glory. Psalm 120. Just a couple of months ago, we hosted... um, in our house, a dear brother there in Spain, and this brother recently lost his wife um, after almost 50, 50 years of, of marriage. So in our desire to encourage this brother, we, we invited him uh, over to our house, and I am not completely sure if he was encouraged or not in, in the midst of the whirlpool that is our home, but for sure he was very distracted during those hours. And... What happened was that this brother lived, uh, had lived in Australia for many years. So when my boys, my five boys, found out, they spent the whole meal and after meal and the afternoon asking all kinds of questions and telling him facts about the extremely, extremely dangerous animals that live on that continent island. You can imagine that meal. I was done after the first piece of meat. I was like, I'm done with this. Because they were talking about the Australian box jellyfish. Extremely dangerous. The honey bee. They talked about the bull shark. The eastern brown snake. Of course, they had to talk about the saltwater crocodile. And the Sydney funnel web spider and the very dangerous blue-ringed octopus. Let's say that it is more dangerous, to, more dangerous to go for a walk in some parts in Australia than to have three Big Macs a day here in America. <laughs> we, could, we, could say, we could truly say that Australia has quite a bit of hostile territory, right? And hostile, I'm using this word on purpose because it is a good word to help us understand Psalm 120. And to whom the composer, the writer of this psalm was writing against. Because this writer in this context uh, lives in a hostile environment, hostile world, in a hostile society. But he doesn't despair because he turned to his always faithful, always loving, and always powerful, powerful God for rescue. Let's see what, what he uh, wrote Moved by the Spirit, Psalm 120 says, a song of ascents. Verse 1, in my trouble I cried to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what what more shall be done to you? You deceitful tongue, sharp arrows of the warrior with the burning coals of the broom tree. Verse 5. Woe is me, for I sojourn in Mesek, for I dwell among the tents of Kedar. I'm saying this with Spanish Hebrew accent, just so you know. You're not, I know you're not impressed, but too long has my soul, verse 6, had its dwelling with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And through this psalm, The Lord's desire this morning is for you to learn and for you and I to remember at least two reasons to trust in God in a hostile world. Two reasons, at least two reasons to trust in God in a hostile world. And we're going to learn in in verses 1 through 4 to learn to trust in God because his care is constant. Trust in God because his care is constant. Constant, and let's, let's dive into the first reason, trust in God. Trust in God. His care is constant in your life. But let me pray first and ask the Lord for help as I'm praying, I'm preaching, and you're listening. Let's, let's pray. Oh, Lord, once again, as we open your holy word, your glorious will reveal to us, we ask you, please, Help us to set aside wrong thoughts 
and our own ideas imposed on the text, but help us extract from the text your truth and apply it to uh, our lives and that your son is glorified in this and therefore you are glorified, oh Father, as the spirit moves in us. Lord, I realize that uh, I am a very weak uh, preacher and I can say and share many ideas uh, on my own, but nothing can be done without you and your spirit. I pray for this dear congregation, Lord. I ask you, please bring salvation and or sanctification this morning, all for your glory, for the extension of your gospel, your kingdom in this area in Hollister. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is a fact that God takes care of his children, and our Lord is not indifferent to your sufferings, right, amen? And the composer of the psalm uh, knows this. Look what he says in verse 1. He, he starts, In my trouble I cry to the Lord, and he answered me. And these verses are informing us right away that the author has come to the Lord in the past. You see the past tense, I have come, I cried to the Lord. He, can, he has come in the past to the Lord for help. He has cried out in time of affliction to his God. And his first reaction hasn't been like many times happened to us. We face a problem. We don't stop thinking about the problem, right? How can I fix this problem? How can I fix this problem? Oh, if this, I, I, would, I should have done this. Or I should, this person should have done this sort of thing. Instead of crying out to the Lord for help, the psalmist's first reaction is coming to the Lord in time of trouble, Right? You see this word trouble, and this word implies great discomfort, anxiety. And it literally, literally means something very narrow. Something very narrow. And this is the same word that Jonah used in the belly of the great fish. Probably an Australian whale or something like that. <laughs> and he, he says in, in Jonah chapter 2... I called out in my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. Same words. I called out. I cried out in trouble, in distress. The same words. And it is in these moments of tribulation and in anguish and affliction that the believer, you and I as believers, we must, we must go straight to the solution, not to the problem. And who is the solution? Not what is the solution. Who is the solution to our problem? Is our Lord. And we rehearse over and over, right? We keep rehearsing over and over the problem. But we learn from the psalm how the psalmist is putting his thoughts captive to his God. Because he has all the power. The Lord has all the power to fix any problem that we face in this world. And his good and acceptable and perfect will. And look what the psalm says. Second part of verse 1. What, what, what does he say? And he, the Lord, answered me. So our psalmist is looking back to his life. And remembers, he's remembering God's faithfulness in time of trouble. And for us today, nothing has changed. Believers... Uh, we are living in a hostile world, a world full, full of illness, a world full of suffering, a, a world full of conflicts, and it can be a personal conflict, a family conflict, just you name it. Self-interest, job, maybe conflicts in the church, national conflicts, international conflicts. We live in a world in constant war, full of self-interest full of sin, whatever you look. And for us, the believers, the Christians, for us, the church, the question is, and with the question that we have to ask ourselves is, do I want to fight alone? Do we want to fight alone as individuals and as a church? Can we fight alone? And the answer is obviously no. Just look back as the psalmist is doing. Look back in your life and remember Remember the past and recognize God's mighty hand 
on your life. First, remember that God chose you. He chose you in love for your salvation. He saved you from the wages of sin. Amen? Amen. He saved you from physical, yes, but from spiritual death, eternal death. And he did it in Christ. But second, remember how he has answered to your many SOS in your life. Therefore, trust in him fully because his care has been and is and for sure will be constant in your life. So you, we, we just look at the past and remember, but think about the present and ask yourself, what is my affliction today? What are you suffering for today? Health? Family issues? Family death? Maybe family issues due to your Christian convictions? Maybe problems with the finances or a lack of job or maybe your sin? There is no trouble big enough for a good and almighty God. The faithful one. This is what his name implies in this first verse. I cried to the Lord in second verse as well. The faithful God, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord of the covenant with Israel. Israel and also now a covenant with us, his church. So more questions this morning. Is he your plan A or your A plan? The first plan. Is he the one to whom you run or you just come to him when you hit a dead end. He is first. He is first in time of trouble and in time of joy. And in the context of the psalm, the writer again looks back to the past. He remembers God's faithfulness. He trusts in him. He trusts in God's guidance. And he rests. He rests in that truth now in the present. This is a great act of faith and, and confidence because who does his, what does the, the, the present look like in, in his case? He's living in, a, in the midst of a very hostile world, a hostile society, and a society specifically full of lies and deception. Look at verse number two. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. And a hostile world is clearly seen in what the world says with their mouths. And we don't know specifically why these lies and why this deceitful tongue were producing such uneasy feelings in our believer. But the key idea and the key factor here is that he doesn't respond directly to them. He doesn't take the law and applies it with his own hands, but asks to Yahweh. Deliver my soul. He's asking for help again. I don't know if you have heard about Joseph Goebbels. I believe that could be pronounced like this. Joseph, uh, Joseph Goebbels, he was one of the Nazi leaders one, uh, during the Second World War. And here is uh, what he said. He said this, if you tell a lie big enough, and keep repeating it, it will eventually become a truth. Therefore, lie. Lie because something will remain. And the bigger the lie, the more people will believe it. End quote. This Nazi was a virtuoso of propaganda. He was a master of lies, and a whole nation believed that Jews and gypsies and, and people with physical and mental problems and other problems were less than rats and had to be exterminated. That society ate this information for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they believed it. Now, if we as Christians today, we don't ask for help to the Lord to deliver our soul from lies and deliver our soul from deception of this world, if we have attentive ears to certain conversations, if we ourselves give way to this, if we don't stop the liar right there, if we don't stop the gossiper, 
And, say, you know, this person, that people that come to you with these amazing words, telling, oh, please pray for me. Oh, pr pray for so-and-so. Somebody told me that he was seen in a certain place. Oh, pray for me. I, I just had a terrible discussion with so-and-so. Pray for her. She's very impatient. If you, we don't stop this, brothers, sin is going to keep growing. It's going to grow, and, and, and the roots are going to grow in, your, in, in our souls and in our heart. And sin will grow nonstop because sin is extremely powerful. And, if, and we will forget the truth. And we will diminish and rationalize the truth. And we will hurt our brother and our sister, our church, and we will sin against the Lord. So may I please ask you this morning, I am visiting. I'm going to preach. I'm going to live. Now the others have to do, deal with this. Thank you very much. But may I ask you this morning, because the word of God is going to stay here, right? May I ask you from this text for you to be aware, please be aware that Christ asks you to be careful in what you're listening to and to whom you are listening to, to what and whom you are reading to. May I ask you, dads and moms here, keep caring for your kids as they receive Lots of information from books, from phones, from movies, from media. May I ask you, husband, as well, to take care, to care for what kind of information your wife receives and vice versa. Wives, may I humbly, humbly encourage you, dear elders, pastors here. Don't dismay. Persevere. Don't dismay in your involvement in your people's lives, and all to care more and more of what Christ thinks what, uh, than to what other people think. And then lovingly, as the Bible teaches, lovingly confront sin. May I ask you to all, all of you to run to the truth, which is Christ's word, and to find good and godly influences in, in, in other mature Christians. Find godliness in your pastors and ladies that are mature. If not, you know what is going to happen. The lies and deception are, are going to be listened to. We're going to eat it. We're going to see them. And step by step are going to destroy our soul like the woodworm destroys the wood. One little minuscule bite at a time. Ephesians 5 says this in an inspired way. Ephesians 5, 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were, were for, uh, formerly darkness, but now you are light of the world. Walk as children of light. So do you belong to Christ? Is he your savior? Then you have been rescued by the Father from the effects of this hostile world in your soul. And he has placed you into his son's kingdom. And unfortunately, we're not there physically yet. But we don't belong to this world, right? We are all although we are in this world. We thank the Lord because our hearts have been rescued, but we need to deal with hostility in this world. And we, don't, we do have the sufficient resources in Christ. We have the word, the inspired word of God. We have the Holy Spirit guiding us as we studied at home, at church. We have the body of believers, the church, and with these tools, we can overcome any 
temptation and we can overcome any temptation because Christ overcame the highest temptations and he understands and he's there for our help. Therefore, we can overcome it and we can stop participating and, and stop giving way to lies and deception only with his help, no on our own strength because sin is extremely powerful. And the tongue, you know this. I tell my kids over and over, the tongue is extremely powerful. You can punch your brother, and it's going to hurt a a few hours, but you use your tongue against your brother, that's going to hurt for years. James 3, 5, and 6, we know these verses. The tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. I mean, in actual words, I would say that James had the microphone. He dropped the mic right there. It was, this is amazing. The power of the tongue. Because sin in this world is terrible and it is hostile. Therefore, this world is incredibly hostile as well against Christ and against his disciples, the church. And if we give way to the world in our soul, if we don't cry out to the Lord, not only like this, crying up, to the Lord, but also crying to the Lord through Scripture. If we don't find refuge in Him, if we don't find wisdom in His Word, our hearts are going eventually to become hostile as well. Somebody said, the lies our soul needs deliverance from are not only the lies said about us, but also the lies said to us. Lies about God Lies about man, lies about ourselves, lies about life, identity, purpose, and happiness. And from these lies, we all must pray, deliver my soul, O Lord. End quote. And for those now that are characterized by lies and deceitfulness, the future is set. The future is set. Look at verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 says, What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue, sharp arrows arrows of the warrior with the burning coals of the broom tree. So right now, the composer of this psalm psalm is expressing a desire of punishment. This is truly a curse. And this is something quite common back there. When, for example, when, um, Sam, uh, we read in 1 Samuel 3, when Eli asks Samuel, what did the Lord say to him? He said in verse 17, what is the word that God spoke to you? Please don't hide it from me. May God do so to you. And more also, if you hide anything from me of all the words that he spoke to you. And there are other examples in the Old Testament. The point is that this psalm claims that there is going to be judgment for these people. People that turn their backs to the Lord. People that ignore the Lord. People that hate him. That hate his people. That are hostile against his people. And their end of them is going to be judgment. And the psalmist is expressing this in those days' uh, terms. Sharp arrows of the warrior with the burning coals of the broom tree. Liars and deceivers, we say that they have a sharp tongue, right? Do you say that? They have a sharp tongue. Well, David already said that thousands of years ago, while he was being uh, hunted by King Saul, David expressed the same truth. He said, my soul is among lions. I must lay among those who breathe forth fire. Even the songs of men whose teeth are spear and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. 
those whose life is entertained by throwing sharp and evil arrows against others will receive the same. But we, they will receive the same and multiply this for, by infinite times. Now, we have seen, in, seen this in the movies, right? I come also from a place that we, we see castles all over the place. So this idea of the burning arrows, uh, shooting arrows on top of the walls, is pretty, it was common back there. The arrows were the missiles of the time. They would destroy what was inside. And the writer is letting us know that they will receive what they deserve. Maybe they won't receive this during their lifetime, but for sure in eternity where the punishment is reserved on judgment day, when Christ will come back and he's going, you know, to separate his people from the goats, sheep on one side for salvation, goats on the other side for condemnation. Therefore, we must fight against those that lie and deceive, against those that offend your Lord and Savior, either by words or, or by actions. But we don't want to give them back their own medicine. We don't want to play the same game. We don't want to return evil for evil. But we want to come to God's truth, and we want to persevere, and we want to discern everything that comes from our eyes and our ears through words, through images, everything that doesn't honor Christ and that harms our souls. And we have to come to him when we are tempted or when we fall. We come to him because we have sin in our lives and we see and the scripture tells us that his care for you and I is constant. And in the psalm, in this psalm this morning, God's desire for you is to learn and to remember two reasons to trust in him. In the midst of this hostile world, trust in him. Trust in him. But also, number two, trust in him because your affliction has expiration date. It is, a, it is a, you know what verse, verse zero is? A song of ascents or ascents. This means that this song was sung by the Israelites on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem from all parts of the kingdom. And they were coming to Jerusalem to offer worship and sacrifices to the Lord because the temple was located up on the hill. Now imagine this scene. In the pilgrimage, they pass by or close by areas populated by enemies of Israel. And these are areas full of enemies because, as you know, Israel decided that they didn't want to obey their faithful God. God has said, go to the promised land. I'm going to fight for you. Right? I'm going to fight for you. And then we read Joshua and Judges and we see the spiral of sin. They don't want God to fight for them. And what happens then? These enemies stay in the land. And the consequences are terrible, as we know. The land was promised, but these still, they still had to trust. But they decided to allow those enemies with their idols to stay in the land. So now, they themselves, they are walking to Jerusalem they're crossing all these lands, hostile lands, in a place that should be a, 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 a country, a kingdom of peace. But they're walking through hostile lands, hostile to God and hostile to his people. And I am sure they would run. <laughs> they would go as fast as you go through dark and dangerous areas in Hollister in midnight. With thousands of more cycles around. <laughs> you cannot wait to get home, right? I don't know if, how dangerous Hollister is. I lived in Vallejo, just picture Vallejo, <laughs> you know? And in the same way, our, our believer walking to this land, he's longing, he's in need, 
and, and he runs to have fellowship with his people and with her God, with his God. Therefore, they were expressing the same lament, woe is me. And this psalm refers, if you see these two names, Mesech and, and Kedar, Kedar, these are two nations or, or two tribes pretty far away, one from each other. One is in, on the north and the other one on the south. And for the Jews, these were places inhabited by barbarians and uh, idolaters and deceivers. And, and these are names used in general terms from, for every pagan nation that is an enemy of God and his people. It's like saying, I need to adapt this to here, but I would say... Uh, I live in Oakland, <laughs> or I work in Oakland, and I live in Vallejo, <laughs> something like that. I live in a dangerous place. Everybody in the nation will feel sorry for you. Woe is you, they would say. Oh, I'm sorry, right? The point here, though, is that the believer in the Old Testament is, is conscious that, they, that he's surrounded by hostility. He's surrounded by sin, and he's... He's conscious and, and he, that he doesn't belong there. He does not belong there. He knows that this is not his final destiny. We find these two words, I sojourn, verse 5, and I dwell, verse 5 as well. And these two verbs are, carry a temporal connotation. This is not a permanent settling. The believer is passing by. He's leaving those nations behind. He's leaving this world behind. And he's going to another destiny. He feels like fish out of the water in the middle of that. Do we see this? He doesn't want to be there. He feels out of place. He feels in the same way. I remember one time we were actually here in California, and we were coming from Northern California, driving to Vallejo with another family, and uh, we were hungry, and our favorite place was The Habit. The Habit? Hamburger? Yes. So we put The Habit in our GPS, and the GPS led us to a big building. It was kind of weird because it, it was, we, it is, this is not a mall. What is this? Let's see. We ha- we, I, by that time, I you know, had four kids, three or four, and the other family, five. So we were like 15 people. And it turns out that um, we come inside. That, yeah, there was, it was a habit there. So we were happy about it. But in the middle of the food court or whatever you want to call it, it was <laughs> full of slot machines. So it turns out that this was a casino. So here we are, the both families with little kids having lunch because we were so hungry that we didn't leave the place. You can judge me later. But <laughs> we're having hamburger and people is walking like, what are they doing here? And, you know, putting the money and nobody won anything, by, by the way. But we felt, we felt totally out of place. We ate the hamburger quickly and we went we kept going our, our journey, but before we took a picture with the whole family with the slot machines, machines in the back, that was, a, anyways, that was fun. But this is how our Old Testament believer feels like. Out of place, he's sick of it. Verse 6, he says, Too long has my soul had its dwellings with those who hate peace. And the translation for us today is this, I live among terrorists. I live among terrorists because they seek hostility constantly. They seek to fill their bottomless stomachs with their, their, their sinful passions. And I am done here. I am done. I'm leaving them behind. I, I'm not going to stay here. I have a destiny. And this is the contrast we find on verse 7. I am for peace. But when, when I speak, they are contrast for war. Or I love peace. I seek peace. And the satisfaction of, of our believer was in a life of peace. And we need to understand what kind of peace he's talking about. And again, he's not talking about this hippie Berkeley peace, right? No, he's talking uh, a peace that 
that brings the, the hope of living in the promised land without any hostility. This is true peace in this context. And this is what a few psalms ahead, Psalm 125, Psalm 128 express. Peace be upon Israel. Full peace, full joy, full satisfaction. satisfaction. But the question still is, has Israel made it? Is Israel living in peace? The answer is no. And we, we saw why. Their sin... Their lack of trust in God caused the hostile tribes to remain in the promised land. And this brought lots of trouble and lots of sin and their own apostasy against the Lord. And their disobedience just brought exile and destruction and condemnation. And the next question we have to ask is, where is then? Where is then this peace promise? Where is this real peace found? And let me jump now a few years ahead. The answer is, true peace is found in God and his gospel through his son, Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ, only Christ, has brought true peace between God and mankind. We all, either Jews or Gentiles, everybody, we were God's enemies due to our sin. We were hostile to God. But He, in His own initiative, out of love, out of His own will and love for humanity, He decided a plan back in eternity, the only plan to rescue us. How? By sending and killing. His only and perfect and precious and glorious Son, Jesus Christ, instead of us. And what did He do then? He created a new man. He created a new, a new body, a, a new nation, a new kingdom that we, that we all will enjoy peace. Because it's going to be formed for by those that Christ came to save. And we, brothers and sisters, members of the kingdom, we must behave, tying this with the first verses, we must behave in a different way than the rest of our, of our hostile society, totally different than Mesek and Kedar or Hollister or whatever you want to say, name it. And we must find our satisfaction true satisfaction, and true peace in Christ only. And we must know as well that we are just sojourners. We're strangers and aliens of this world. But we won't be in the next world to come, in the new heaven and the new earth, because we will, there, we will dwell there forever. Because Why? We have an expiration date for our affliction here. We will suffer hostility because of people, because of sin, because of our own minds. But our suffering has expiration date. We have a passport. I have a passport that says I'm a Spaniard. You have a passport that says you're American, USA. But we believers have a passport that says you are a citizen of the kingdom, the new heaven, and the new earth, a place of peace and true joy and true worship. So we must endure then hostility, more and more hostility. We're going to have to endure suffering, and more and more is coming. And I have to remind myself, and I must remind you this morning, brothers and sisters, that there are countless of reasons to trust and to, to have confidence in Christ. Because he himself endured all hostility by sinners against himself, so that we will not grow weary and lose heart, Hebrews 12.3. And then, by the way, on that occasion, when he came the first time, he didn't take the law into his own hands, he didn't act against. But Isaiah 53 says, he did not open his mouth. 
However, he's coming back. Christ is coming back, and he will open his mouth. He's going to come back in supreme glory and power and judgment. We have countless reasons to trust God in a hostile world. Amen. We see only two here, but we have countless verses one through four. Trust in God because his care is constant. And trust in God because your affliction has expiration date. And the challenge for us now is to meditate on on these words and go home and and challenge ourselves in discerning everything that comes through our eyes and ears and doesn't honor Christ and harms his church and harms our spiritual family. The, The challenge of taking care of what you communicate with your mouth, with your expressions, even with your fingers, with the computer or the phone. And Christ encourages us today from this text to meditate in his word and to trust him unconditionally in the midst of a hostile environment that is waiting right there. Trust his word. It's only there where you can find wisdom and discernment. And there is hope also also in your affliction. God does respond to the prayers of his people a people that is sojourning with his word as the compass. And as we sojourn, we worship him because we are pilgrims that exalt him even though we're surrounded by people that curses him and people that disregards our way of living. And God, remind this, remember this, answers to your cry of help, his way, which is the best way, and at his time, the best time. One more thing. Remember that we fight the good fight, but we don't fight people. Our war is not, it's not against people. It is against dark spiritual forces. It is Satan's glory versus God's glory, but it is all about what Christ already won. He defeated sin and death, and he has given us his salvation, and we recognize that we're weak, but that he is eternal, omnipotent, and strong, and cares for us in our pilgrimage to the new heaven and earth. And as I was preparing this sermon, it came to my mind over and over the, the lyrics of an old hymn. I don't know if you sing this hymn here, uh, but maybe you should sing this hymn it is one of my favorite songs, and it was written by a 20-year-old girl that passed away just, just a little bit after uh, writing this hymn. And this hymn talks about that even in the midst of the fight of this life, a fight for the exaltation of Christ's name, even in our own weakness, he will be victorious, and we will live with him forever. Let me finish with the lyrics of this hymn. The title is, We Rest on Thee, Our Shield and Our Defender. We rest on Thee, Our Shield and Our Defender. We go not forth alone against the foe. Strong in Thy strength, safe in Thy keeping tender, we we rest on Thee, and in Thy name we go. Verse 2, Yes, in Thy name, O Captain of Salvation, in Thy dear name, all other names above, Jesus, our righteousness, our sure foundation, our prince of glory, and our king of love. We go in faith, our own great weakness feeling, and needing more each day, thy grace to know. Yet, from our hearts, a song of triumph pealing, we rest on thee, and in, in thy name we go. And the last verse says this, we rest on thee, our shield, and our defender. Thine is the battle, thine shall be the praise. When passing through the gates of pearly splendor, victors will rest with thee through endless days. Let's pray. Father, we opened your word in a song. Jewish song that was written thousands of years ago. And when we read it the first time, doesn't maybe tell us a lot. 
but it is a supernatural word that came from your own breath. So we today, in 2018, we can study it, and we can be changed by it through your spirit, and, we, and you can receive all the glory for this. And we ask you, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for your care, constant care in our afflictions. This world is against you. This world is hostile against is hostile against you and our against your people, and we are sojourning. We are walking through this world, and Lord, we are tempted to start acting the same way. So deliver us from that, O oh Lord. Help us to be light in this world, and help us to have uh, our goal in mind, which is living with you forever in the eternal kingdom. And we are that. The fact that we are sojourners in this world, we just walking by as we, Lord, have been asked by you to make disciples and baptize them and teach them. Oh, Lord, it is only by your powerful word, it is only by your almighty power that you can change a heart that is dead and trespassed and sins for a new heart that is pleasing to worship you. And this is what you did with us. And now, Lord, we ask you for help. Help us to discern what pleases you with our mouths, with our eyes, with our ears. Help us to be different because we're members of another kingdom. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.